Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Tamara. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm Dr. Tamara Rosier. I wrote the book, Your Brain's Not Broken. And it talks about the emotional adventures we have uh, with uh, those of, for those of us who have ADHD. Um, I run the ADHD Center of West Michigan, and I'm the president of the ADHD Coaching Organization. And I'm, I'm one of the organizers for the International Conference on ADHD in Baltimore. Uh, I, have, I, I ask, I should know. Uh, yes, it's in Baltimore this year. I'm in, I'm in Maryland, so I'll have to go to that. Oh, I, I honestly would love for you to go. We'll talk more about that. Okay. Uh, when we talk about your brain's not broken, how'd you like, that's a great title, but did you come across that? Cause there's probably a lot of people I started noticing in like ADHD forums that were kind of speaking out and feel like they weren't being heard. And at sometimes I feel like that too with ADHD. So I'm curious how your book got started and also what you started learning about, like what's your interest in ADHD? <clears throat> well, I have ADHD. Um, I started my career as a high school teacher. And so I found I was really, really good with a certain population. And back in the day, those were called at-risk kids. And guess what? Those at-risk kids mostly had ADHD. That's what made them at risk. But I'm super old and I taught in the 90s. And so we just kind of labeled those kids at risk. In other words, they were at risk of not succeeding. And I found I, I had a really, <laughs> I had a gift for working with that population. And you know what that gift is called? ADHD. Because people who have ADHD know people. It's like we get each other when we have ADHD. So from there on, um, I taught college. And I taught educational psychology. <clears throat> but then after I left higher education, I started um, ADHD coaching. And um, from then on, I developed the ADHD center. So that's kind of how... I got into it. I have ADHD. My husband has ADHD. And I have four girls and three of them have ADHD. Now, when you were a teacher, was it acceptable? I know they called it like something different. Um, ADD. But, but was, so, but is it more like you, since you are able to learn about now, like me going online now, I can find so many resources. There's a lot of research into it, which was not like that when I was a kid. It was like, it's in your head. I'm like, well, that's the kind of the problem. It's yeah, that it's, it is in my head. Yeah. yeah. So we, back then, and again, I, I, I keep saying I'm super old because I want people to understand I taught high school back in the nineties. And so we had ADHD. We had the first and kind of the beginning of the second generation of medication for ADHD, but ADHD was still so basic. And, you know, now we can see the brain. And I know you've, um, Robbie, you've done a lot of research, so this is probably repetition for you. But those of us who have ADHD actually use our brain differently. And we can see it on fMRI scans and other brain scans. Well, back in the 90s, we couldn't do any of that. We could just see like, wow, you know, this kid acts a certain way. So now our understanding of ADHD is much more sophisticated. Um, we know that those of us with ADHD don't use our prefrontal cortexes as much. Instead, we rely on a different part of our brain called the limbic center, which means everything comes through um, our brain kind of with an emotional attachment. So when we're hearing something, 
our brain, because it doesn't come in through our prefrontal cortex, which is right behind your forehead, it comes in through this emotional part. And our brain's like, what does this mean emotionally? What does this mean emotionally? And we tend to tag everything emotionally as we're taking in information. Does that make sense? It does. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm curious. I, I'm stuck on one of the first things you said, but when it comes to ADHD, is, is it, is it the awareness is getting there, but it's like, there's so much research about it. Like every time I'm looking into something, there's always, there is something that's already studied, but there's so many different things that goes into, I have the hyperactivity. I have a lot of the all kind of, it seems like I have most, a lot of what they have, but there's, are we still learning? Like, is there still so much oh, more? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just because we're more sophisticated doesn't mean we're there. It just means we're really sophisticated now in understanding. Uh, whereas 20 years ago, um, we were still going, ah, it's a thing. And then there were still people, and there are now, saying, no, it's really a made-up thing. So it's a neurological difference. And that's what it is. It's not a gift. It's not a curse. It's a neurological difference. The problem comes when our neurological differences don't line up with our environment. And so that's a big problem for us. And so that's where people are like, oh, ADHD is a disability. Well, yeah, it certainly can be in some environments. Um, and then other people are like, oh, no, it's my superpower. It sure can be in some environments. Do you see how ADHD is very sensitive to um, the environment um, that that you find yourself in? Yeah, one one of the superpowers that gets mentioned all the time is the hyper-focus, which I think it, it is kind of, but it's also not a superpower. It's very, very difficult. I got really good at painting from watching Bob Ross at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and um, my paintings went from complete trash to the point where now my friends have paintings of mine that are in their house and they're not the person to give me a compliment. They actually try and slant me to get me to try harder at something. Well, I obsess over it. That's the problem is the hyper-focus part comes with the massive obsession to the point where I'll be at work only thinking about, I want to go home and paint. And that's where I try and like educate people. Like I post a little bit of stuff. Well, I... you're talking about a hyper-fixation there. Yeah. So can we talk about hyper-focus and hyper-fixation yeah. in a second? So people talk about hyper-focus as a gift. It's really not, dude. I, it's not. And I can hear your listeners going, no, I'm going to fight you on this. Well, before you fight me on this, here's why it's not a gift. For us to focus, we have to harness all this emotional energy and go into this hyper-focused hyper state. And anyone who knows when they're in a hyper, uh, we won't go to the bathroom. I mean, nothing else exists. And that's because we had to conjure so much emotion to get in this state. You know, the problem is neurotypical people just do stuff and it doesn't take that much energy. Hyper-focus drains our battery at a very rapid rate. And so for people, when people say, oh, ADHD, I love the hyper-focus. I will go, hey, guess how the other half's living? They just do stuff. And so that's, hyper-focus isn't the gift people think it is. Um, do I harness my hyperfocus? Heck yeah. Um, I'm working on my second manuscript. And this afternoon, I'm going to go um, sit outside for a while. And, I, and I'm going to allow myself um, to enter, hopefully, a flow state. Flow is a psychological state. You probably have read about it, where it happens for neurotypical and ADHD people. 
your brain kind of calms down, but the waves, your brain waves are all kind of focusing and, and it's called flow. It's a great state to be in. Sometimes my flow state will go over into hyper-focused. That's okay. I'm going to harness that today because I really have to get this chapter done. Right? It's okay. I understand this about my brain, but I don't go around calling it a gift because it's just something I have in my arsenal. And it's a way I have to do things sometimes because I don't have neurotypical options. By the way, sometimes medication can give us, can give some people neurotypical options. For those of us who may not take medication, we have to deal with the brain we're dealt with. Now, hyperfixation is also part of our emotional brain. And it's the, I would rather be doing this. So you're at work, you're like, this sucks. And you're like, you know what I do like? And your brain starts to go, what, what? Tell me. You're like painting. Oh, tell me more. And it's like you have this conversation that's kind of engaging. And, and it's, it's like trying to entertain itself during a boring task. That makes sense? It does. ADHD gets recognized as a disorder, but I mean, would you call it more of an emotional disorder? Do you think it attacks more of the emotions than it does the physical? I know some people don't have the hyperactivity, but right now what I'm learning about is like, and what I'm interested in is the emotional side of things. Cause I wouldn't say I'm an emotional person. Usually kind of bounce back and forth sometimes, but uh, I start noticing like stuff like deeper connections with people. Like there's a, there's a different aspect. Like someone could send a text, like, I don't want to hang out today. And it could actually hit a little bit harder. Exactly. Yes. So, um, so I, I talk a lot about that in my book that we process things emotionally. So let me just say, state this, the, the DSM, the book that people use to diagnose ADHD, I would say 25 years out of date, which means it doesn't even mention emotional dysregulation. But all the big boys in research, uh, Russ Ramsey, Russell Barkley, Tom Brown, all say, listen, there's a significant component of emotional dysregulation. And that actually is the number one symptom of ADHD. Lack of focus. That's just half the problem, but the emotional dysregulation. So when I say emotional dysregulation, people are like, well, I, I, I'm not yelling at my boss. I don't, I'm not emotionally dysregulated. You are correct. Except though, we hear everything through emo an emotional lens. We see everything, feel everything, touch everything through an emotional lens. So most of us are also having, have like rejection sensitivity. So because we take in everything emotionally, everything hurts more or everything feels joy more, right? So either way, um, we're taking in things emotionally. Our neurotypical counterparts don't take it in emotionally. They have a prefrontal cortex that kind of scans it. It's like sorting through mail. They're like junk, 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 junk. Okay, pay this. We don't have that sorter. So we just bring in all the mail, look at it, and look at an advertisement. Oh my gosh, we're sitting here pondering an advertisement. We don't have that sorting system. Does that make sense, Robbie? It does. Do you find that a lot of people who don't understand, I guess, the emotional connection with ADHD have a lot of exhaustion? 
throughout their <laughs> daily life. I would feel like, I know everyone says you should be bouncing off the walls. I'd love to have your energy. I heard it all the time when I was a kid, but I was like, actually, it's pretty exhausting. I do take sometimes a nap, but I never fully sleep. We can talk about sleep at a different point, but it's that emotional stuff. Like me going through a whole lot in a whole day. I had a brief moment where I was learning about time blindness because I was trying to figure out, I thought I had dementia. Um, Cause I'm like, oh, like time was just going by. I talked to my grandma she's like, we haven't talked in two months. I was like, I texted you two weeks ago. She's like, that's two months ago, Robbie. I go, yeah. What is that? Like, and I she's just, the old uh, one. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I, I thought I was losing it, but I realized that there's a lot that goes in there. So you do have an emotional kind of wall that you hit some days and it gets to be like where you're exhausted 24 seven. So I'm curious if any of these people or any information that you might've come across where people who didn't understand the emotional connection part were having just extreme exhaustion throughout the day. Uh, Russ Bart, uh, no. Uh, I'm speaking with him in Bart. August. Oh, cool. Uh, Russell, he's fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, the other Russ, um, Russ Ramsey, uh, he uh, talks about fatigue and ADHD quite a bit um, and has done some research. So here's what it is. We have a system in our brain that takes a lot of energy to run. We're running so many things all at once that it's like having on your phone, um, on my iPhone, if I keep all my apps running, you know, in the background, I'll lose my battery. That's how our brain is. Because I'm having this, I'm having this delightful conversation with you but I'm also aware, gosh, my feet are a little bit cold. What am I going to do with that? Well, I guess I could, you know, I have that going on. I have all this other stuff. Yeah, I'm in a room with not a lot of stimulation. And I still have all this going on in my head. Imagine, now put us at work with a lot of people, a lot of conversation, a lot of smells, a lot of sights, a lot of things touching us. It When we're taking things in through our senses, our brain is so busy in trying to make sense of everything. Does that make sense? So we're exhausted um, because it takes a lot to run. Would that increase isolation? I know a lot of people feel like, like I get too much input and not enough output. Like I don't feel like I'm doing enough on some things. And I was looking up some studies about like isolation and ADHD, if that was good. I've seen a balanced mix of like different responses of like, yeah, it's good yeah. ADHD isolation, but it's also really bad because we're, and people bring up like social creatures. And I was like, yeah, but the way we socially interact is not the same as how other people socially interact. So there's like kind of a difference there. Like I always tell people all the time, if I'm annoying, just let me know. I'm not going to be offended by it. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny. I just finished a chapter about this in my uh, next book. So here's what happens. We go through life, um, there's something called a window of tolerance. And the window of tolerance is when our body is kind of at this homeostasis. Right? We're balanced, our emotions are balanced, our body is balanced. Like there's nothing really, we're, we're just in this balanced spot, okay? Outside the window of tolerance, above it is hypoarousal. And you guessed it, a lot of us are in hypoarousal all the time. So let's say like, um, you know, we go to a new place, we're in hypoarousal, or you get an email from a coworker that's alarming, you're in hypoarousal, and we go to hypoarousal just like that. What people don't understand is a lot of ADHD folks go to hypo, H-Y-P-O, arousal, meaning lacking arousal. And so it's kind of like you go to this place of nothing, and you want to do nothing. 
it's you want to sit on your couch and kind of weave yourself into the fabric. And that's hypo arousal. And what happens when people say, well, how do I, how do I do this? We want, we want to manage our energy. And so what we want to do is we want to stay in that window of um, tolerance. So when we're relaxing, we don't want to go to hypo arousal because that means we we're like a pet rock, right? We don't want to go to hyper arousal. Like, yeah, let's tear it up. We want to find this window where we can actually rest in our window of tolerance. Um, in, in my first book, I talk a lot about managing your energy so that you're not going too hypo or too hyper um, all the time. Now, by the way, our brains are built for the two extremes. So it's up to us to kind of learn how to widen that window and learn how to appreciate um, kind of that window of tolerance. Um, here's an interesting thing, though. A lot of times when my um, clients are in their window of tolerance, where like things are just going fine, their bodies are like in stress, like, you know, they're not having stomach aches, they're not, you know, doing all this stress reaction, and there's not really a crisis. And they're in their window of tolerance. Some of my ADHD clients wonder, am I okay? Am I depressed? What's wrong? And it's because their ADHD brain is constantly seeking hyper or hypo. Now, is there a treatment for that? Like when we talk about, like you talk about balancing the emotional state and kind of the mental state, is there a treatment for that besides taking like a prescripted Adderall or something like that? Like I know like mindfulness meditation, I probably would never do it, even though I said like, let's give it a shot or something. It's just not for me to sit still and be able to do that. But I think a lot of that comes from like, I mean, I would link that to masking as well too. I mean, how exhausting is it just to be able to try and keep your, you know, symptoms pretending down a little bit as well too. Yeah. I mean, that pretending to be normal, that hurts a little bit <laughs> just because yeah. um, like, you I know, know, I mean, I'll stare off at work all the time. I've done it my whole life. So I just thought this was my personality, like I said, but you know, when I start to notice things like certain ways, like if you look up masking and you look up the things that go on there, you start going there, you're like, how many times do I do that? Like someone tagged me in something they were like, cause they watched my show and they were like, uh, sent me body language of ADHD and was like crossing your arms. It's like, I don't cross my arms. And then, you know, you're trying not. Yeah. And then it's like sad or hurt eyes. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And then I look and I'm like, Oh, I was like, I, that's my face though. I can't really change that. But they're like, there's certain things like I can start noticing now that like you can catch me if you knew what it was, but it's when I'm focusing in on something or I'm trying my hardest to pay attention. It just doesn't look normal. And I just thought that was, you know, I don't know, personal thing, not, uh, ADHD thing. So I'm curious if there's any way, because the masking thing to me is interesting because I think that creates more um, emotional, not emotional detachment, but isolation. It just creates more isolation. People at this point now, yeah. This is a balance. This is a delicate balance. And I, and because I like your show because you go into nuances. So normally I won't go, I don't do this on a podcast, but this is a delicate balance. Okay. So you have to look and go, what are the appropriate behaviors for this situation? And so you do want to match the appropriate behavior. For example, I'm a loud talker, loud laugher. And yes, it's kind of related to my ADHD because it's kind of impulsive. And, but when I'm in a library, 
it's not masking when I'm like, hey, Tam, how about you don't laugh out loud? Because this isn't the space for it. So that's not masking. That's me adjusting my behavior. Does that make sense? Yes. But masking is when we tend to do, oh, I can't do this out of a sense of shame. Do you, do you see how it, this is very nuanced? Um, so I was in a meeting. Oh, I, you know, I had to be a grown up a lot this week, much more than I'm comfortable with. Um, and very serious folks. And we're having very serious grown-up conversations. And, and a habit I do is I get bored. And so I'll just make a joke. And I, I'm like, I made a joke. And you could tell that they're, not, they're just not fast thinking. By the way, ADHD folks, a lot of us are very fast. Some of us are very slow thinkers. Some of us are very fast thinkers. Notice how we're usually on either end of a spectrum. Zero to 100 is how I've been described my whole life. We have zero or we have 100. So, um, but I'm a very fast thinker. And so, you know, I can say things fast. They're not always funny. I mean, they are usually to me, but it's usually a sign of getting bored. And I'm just trying to get a little hit of dopamine to go on. Um, in the meeting, though, I kind of felt like, okay, Tam, stop that. You're going to be seen as goofy. And I'm like, oh, it's true. And, and then I had to think, all right, am I masking or am I adjusting my behavior to appropriate setting? Do you see this? Yeah, I mean, that, like that would be a fine line though, because I don't know, in an appropriate setting, if you're invited there at that boardroom, I get it's a business meeting, but also I want you to be yourself as well too. But maybe Exactly, so here's the answer. Yeah, here's the answer. Um, and I do this with my clients. We go through an exercise of, and you already mentioned this, Robbie, and I, I love that you mentioned it. Um, what is my personality? And how does ADHD interact with my personality? And so because I know what my personality is, and I also know the health sides of my personality, I know the unhealthy side of my personality, I also know the healthy side. So because I know the healthy side, I can go, okay, okay, let's do a quick inventory just choose the healthy aspects of your personality right now. And I'm like, okay. And that's how I avoid masking. So I, so just to kind of recap, and I know this is nuanced, but I, I really want your listeners to understand this. First, you assess the situation. What's an appropriate response here? Like if someone says, hey, I have cancer, you don't start laughing. Like you just don't do that. And so you're, you're kind of gauging an appropriateness and then you're kind of doing the check-in with the shame and then you're doing the, okay, what, what's my healthy personality like? I'm going to make sure I'm showing my healthy personality traits here. And by the way, my, I do joke a lot in my personality. I mean, ADHD kind of eggs it on like, yeah, 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 do it again. But I do have a side of my, of my personality is quite playful called going for the joke i don't think that's bad i think that's a good thing i do it sometimes too in a podcast it'll be something really serious and then i'm like i just have to i hear something i'm like don't let it go by don't let it go by and then i have to jump on it and then you end up getting some older person staring at you like no yeah you're like what just happened okay so i'm just gonna be really honest 
there are some people my age, I'm in my 50s for your listeners. You look fantastic. Who are so, oh, okay, you keep saying stuff like that. <laughs> um, who are so boring. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And I'll say a joke to try to like connect, be nice, be fun. And they just stare at me. Cricket, cricket. And, it, and it's just so horrible. It's, it's like, I just kind of like, okay, I'm done with this conversation. This is not for the ADHD. So um, it happens all the time. Do you find that a, a lot, lot of ADHD people will use humor to connect? Do you find that a lot of people with ADHD suffer from a large amount of shame? Oh, we eat it for breakfast, my friend. Yes. Um, and remember, uh, I can't remember. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but the words are coming out of my mouth. So I'm just going to ask you, you can cut it later. Um, did you read my book? It, uh, your brain's not broken. I have not read your book now. Okay. All right. Um, I can send you a copy. So sorry, I'm not I, the best I, at reading. <laughs> nope. That's okay. It is available on audible. I'll buy it. But the woman reading it is reading it too slowly for the ADHD brain. So listen at it 1.3 and you should be okay. Um, I, I quick side note, I had someone from England cracks me up. He's like, I hate the woman who read the book. She does sounds nothing like you. I've heard you on podcasts. She needs to speak more, you know. You got a you got a good personality, a really good personality. It, it was hilarious. Um, it, it was just really um a hilarious rant. And I guess he sent it drunk. And so I got another email the next day going. Oh, I need to never send drunk emails again. I sincerely apologize. Yes, get Christopher Walken to read your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Robbie, these are my people and I love them. Um, but anyway, uh, so I before we go on too far, I want to bring up three things that you kind of alluded to. Um, I'd like to bring up heredity. Um, are you aware how high the hereditary rate is for those of us with ADHD. I know that if I had kids, I was the kid was probably going to have ADHD, which was probably one of the main reasons I wouldn't be having kids. Oh, don't do that. I have ADHD kids. They're delightful. And we have a lot of fun. Yeah, but I, I know myself and I'm honest with myself. I don't think I can handle it. Well, you're only 25 too. And so you shouldn't be having kids yet because that's a lot for your brain to handle. Um, so that's one of the things I wanted to bring up. So ADHD folks, um, there's a whole family history of ADHD. It didn't just pop up and didn't start with you. So you have a parent, most likely your father with ADHD because, and if you're, if you're going to have Ross, he's going to go through all this. Cause, um, I think it's Ramsey is the one I'm speaking with. Oh, you're talking to Ramsey. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, Barkley usually talks more about this. If you have a father with ADHD, they have an 80% likelihood of having children who have ADHD. So this ADHD is not new. It's been, it's been with us this whole time. And so, um, in fact, my next book is about how, if you're in a family, if you're in a neurodiverse family, what do you do with it? How do you, how do you live together? And because ADHD is so highly hereditary. Is it possible that it could be another disorder, not ADHD, that a family member might have that causes that ADHD in me? 
because I don't think I don't know if my parents my mom says she has it, but I don't think she has it. I think she got something else. We did not re- connect well at all. I was like, hold on, I get along with anybody ADHD or anybody usually on that kind of like spectrum a little bit, but she's a little bit uh different. Uh well, women display ADHD differently. Uh, because society says, Hey, you're you're a female, you better have your act together. Um, we really want to um be careful when we see women with ADHD it usually shows up as anxiety and a lot of emotional dysregulation. So if she's losing her darn mind that you didn't do the dishes, eh, maybe I'd look at ADHD. Okay. Oh, and here's the other thing that ADHD people do in families. They keep kind of like challenging each other and increasing the emotional intensity. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're like, okay, touche, Tamara, touche. Okay. So here's the other thing I want um, to bring up. And maybe you've run across this already, um, but I want your listeners to know if you have ADHD, and, and again, this is nuanced, so listen carefully. Your brain is running about three to five years behind. Brain now, fully develops, not intellectually. Mid, what is it, mid-30s it fully develops or something like that? Yeah. yeah, well, when I coach parents, I say, if you have a female, look at 27. 27 is going to be a magical year for a female. And all of a sudden, I've seen it in my own children. Uh, my oldest is 30. My next one is 28. When those two ADHD girls get to be that 27 it's like they're like oh okay i I get how life works and and their adhd is still present but it's just not constantly kicking their tail it's like all of a sudden they caught up now by the time um i my kids are doing great i want to tell you so adhd people don't feel sorry for us we can still work hard we can do things it's just harder for us right now, in males, it's 29. So when I said, oh, you have no business having kids yet, I didn't mean to put you down for age. I'm just saying, well, when you're ADHD, we've got to give enough space for your brain to grow up to 29. Now, Robbie, I'm going to use you as an example. Again, you have freedom to cut this, <laughs> but you're a highly intelligent. You're incredibly likable. And you're incredibly curious. You have all these great things going for you. So none of that is ADHD. The ADHD thing is, why can't I seem to figure out how to do stuff? Or why do I only want to paint when I should be doing this? That's the ADHD stuff that we're running behind on. So I want to be clear, like, it's not about intellect. Um, And it's, it's about figuring out how the world works. Um, we're slow to pick up the patterns of how things work. And it's kind of embarrassing um, how slow we are to pick it up. Um, and I say it's embarrassing. I'm sorry, I'm kind of being tongue in cheek about myself. Because there's things that when I was 30, I finally went, oh, I get it. Like just dumb things. Like, oh, I get how this works now. I told you I have that one neurotypical daughter. I've studied her like she's a lab rat. And there's times she just could understand things so much easier. And it was just because she has a prefrontal cortex working. 
So when I say we run three to five years behind, it's not intellectually. Um, it's really in putting all the pieces together. Is there, um, with ADHD, is there a link with emotional intelligence or anything of that sort when it comes to IQ or anything? I don't attribute, um, I don't know if, the, I don't think it's just me that makes me, I'm not dumb. I might come off like a little bit, a bit of an idiot, but I, uh, I'm actually soak up information like a sponge. So it makes me, I'm a pretty quick learner, but I wonder, is that like an ADHD thing? I know we talk about like, there's a separation on it, but it, I don't attribute all that to just me. I would attribute that to something else. Yeah. Well, tough luck, buddy. You're just smart. You have to deal with it. So here's the deal. IQ is a totally different circle. If you think of it in circles, you have your ADHD circle. And it overlaps with your personality circle. But then you have this IQ thing. IQ is kind of a little bit of what you're born with and a lot of what you do with it. So the reason why a lot of ADHD people look smart is because we're so darn curious. And that's the ADHD part of us. We're like, I have to know. Like I found out yesterday that octopus, octopi, whatever, you know, those things with the arms, they have nine brains. You know what my first thought was? Well, I've got to figure out why and what those brains do. That is not a neurotypical thought. That's an ADHD thought. I'm not a neuro, I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a biologist. But you know what? Curious minds want to know. And so you kept feeding your intellect. That's the ADHD part. You were born with your intellect, but you kept feeding it. So sometimes people think, well, ADHD people are smart. That's not fair to say, just because you then all of us would have high IQs. And I, I know, I know, I just know from my own practice, that's not true. Now, my niche hap happens to be in coaching high IQ ADHD folks. I find them fascinating. They keep me on my toes, um, especially those little kids over 130. They're just like these little men that come into my offices. Well, actually, Tamara, it's this, and they're adorable. Um, but IQ is not directly related, but it's fed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does the people with ADHD do they have a specific set of like? I know everyone has their own kind of like what they're good at and what they're bad at. I've noticed a lot of it was conversation with ADHD, which I don't think I'm necessarily bad at. Um, but it, it was always like ADHD are not good, very at conversation because they can do be impulsive with speech and things of this sort. And I mean, I did sometimes, sure, but also it keeps a good flow. Like I know how to have a conversation with basically anybody. So I'm curious if there's a certain set of skills that might be more ADHD, like certain people have this kind of skill boost because of ADHD and then others have a certain skill boost in another section. Like I know some people that can write a book. Like it's nothing. They just can't form the words and speak it like how maybe I could be a good speaker. Sure. But they can write it down like it's the exact same thing. And I can't really do that as well as they can. And they have ADHD too. Yeah. So think of ADHD, not having skills itself, but a feeder to what you already have. So just the way ADHD can feed IQ. Like if your IQ is is over kind of the average, Ten. then you have this curiosity. Like, I, I just, I, I gotta know why nine brains, right? So that's that curiosity. Um, and it's feeding. 
uh, whatever's in your personality is what ADHD will magnify, the good and the bad. And I do this with my clients. I, I, we study their personality. And then we look and we go, okay, how does ADHD muck with your personality? And how does ADHD enhance your personality? And what in your personality um, goes, all right, ADHD, get out of my way. So, so the personality is always interacting with the ADHD and vice versa. Uh, let me give you an example. There is a personality type I work with that tends to be very anxious. Oh, crap. That's really too bad because the ADHD is like, all right, hold my beer. And in, in, in other words, I'm going to make you even more anxious now. I'm going to help you think of every possible thing that could go wrong all the time. Well, that's in their personality. They already have that way of thinking. And now ADHD is like, well, I can help that. So do you see ADHD takes whatever is in your personality and does something with it, positive or negative? Um, my personality, I tend to be highly impulsive and trust my instincts. Rut row, when you have ADHD, that speeds that whole process up. And so now, because I know that about myself, I'm going to be very careful. Go, okay, let's slow this down. Take a deep breath. You, you think this is the right way to go. Let's just do a couple quick checks. And I've had to train myself to do that. This question you might know, you might not, um, about being intuitive. I'm at work, like it's like well known that when someone's hiring somebody, and I've been through a bunch of different supervisors, but they'll like slide the resume towards me and then they'll go meet with the person and I can still see them all in my view and everything. And then when they come back, I'll say usually yes or no. I just get a vibe about people. It's not like a weird sixth sense thing. I just have always had it when I was a kid. So I looked it up and tried to find an answer on that. And they were saying intuitive. And I was like, I don't know. That can mean a wide range of things. So I'm just curious if you ever look. So in my first book, I talk about divergent thinking. And what happens is, I will answer this. It's going to be a little bit roundabout, okay? Um, there's two kinds of thinking. Uh, convergent and divergent. Convergent is what Sherlock Holmes does. There's one answer. He brings all the clues together to find the one right answer. Divergent thinking is what you and I do. We have one, it, like one idea blows up into a million pieces. And then we play the game of connecting everything. That's divergent thinking. So when we are divergent thinkers, and by the way, this is why we can also look more intelligent some days because we can see connections where other people can't see connections. And this is where um, we start to talk about intuition because you're putting things together people aren't even observing. And you're doing it right under the level of consciousness. So you're picking things up. I do the same thing. Um, I joke with my staff that I have a superpower of hiring people. And I am so proud of my team. I have the best team on the planet and they're excellent. And it's because I can see talent, not because it's this woo kind of weird thing. No, I just pick things up and I'm like, you would be great at the ADHD center. And um, I have been, I, my track record's pretty good. And so like you, I'm like, yep, nope. 
what's happening is my brain's picking up a ton of information and making very quick connections. Here's the problem. Sometimes those quick connections are very accurate. And sometimes, whoopsies, they're not. So I'm always telling my clients, we need to take just a beat, test that thing that feels intuitive or instinctual, just test it out a second. Does it hold? And then keep moving. When we, what types of- Did that answer that for you? It did. Um, I was going to ask what types of trauma can be afflicted or I guess created to someone with ADHD. Like I've heard, looked up hyper-awareness, um, certain aspects of that, like people, I guess, I don't know. I don't remember if it's called hyper-awareness or not. I can try and find it, but there was something that was similar to that, that was like more trauma induced. And it was like typical with kids with ADHD. And I didn't know what that was. And that's where I got down the rabbit hole of like, obviously I had a, ADHD person on my show a while back, uh, Peter Timms, he was studying ADHD. Um, but I asked a question to him because he was studying kids in high school and grade school and things. So uh, did you ever look at the social isolation, the, the, the amount like kids get rejected through school that have ADHD oh. <laughs> and he didn't, yeah. he didn't even think to look into that part of anything. So I gave him a new area on it, but it, I looked up that and found the hyper awareness side of thing where people yeah. are more hyper vigilance, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Um, hypervigilance. So, so I didn't know if that was trauma induced. Okay, so here's here's what happens. The ADHD brain, remember, we're not taking information first through our prefrontal cortex, like our, our neurotypical cohorts. Okay, that leaves us very vulnerable because we're taking everything in through the limbic center. The limbic center is in charge of fight, flight, freeze, appease. And so we, and this is the downside to ADHD, we are very fragile in environments because we're taking in everything going, is this a danger? Is this a danger? Is this a danger? Okay, now put yourself in third grade and a kid just called you a doo-doo head, right? And you're a third grader and you're like, what if I am a doo-doo head? What if? And, and that's it's, it's just a small T trauma, but then you go in from recess for being called that and then you sit down and your teacher's like, I've asked you to sharpen your pencil three times now. Hear the tone of voice? Another day. And what happened, the research on this is ADHD people go through life with all these dings. And so they're not, it's, it adds up to trauma because that's what trauma does. It just keeps keep accumulating. You want to hear something even sadder? Um, ADHD kids are more likely to experience abuse. Why? Because they're likely to have parents who have uncontrolled, undiagnosed ADHD themselves, who are emotionally unregulated. Do you see how now generational trauma happens? I mean, this is sad. And then guess who goes into our military? A lot of ADHD people who need structure. And then we send them into war zones with a delicate brain. I'm not anti-military, but I am saying those those people have delicate brains. So we have to really respect ADHD and we have to respect that we have delicate brains. Um, and that's, that's how trauma affects us. So a lot of us um, have trauma responses all the time, just minor trauma responses. I'm not making us victims, that is not my goal here, but I am saying we have to deeply respect ADHD 
and the fragility that comes with that. We need to understand it more. Um, well, I'm trying to understand it more as well, too. But I think the world kind of needs to hop on the stage of doing a little bit more research, or at least being having more awareness. I'm trying to make more awareness on it, um, mostly because whenever we talk about emotional irregularities between people, and when I had a podcast with Stephen Ferrone, I think I'm saying his name right. Um, he mentioned about like you're probably more likely to get out at a driving interaction, get out of the car and then go confront another individual. I was like, well, be careful. Cause I, yeah, I think everyone gets mad when they have road rage, but we also don't want to come off like emotionally unbalanced to the point where we have to be locked up. Like that's back it up for own. I know back it up for own just because we have this doesn't mean we give in to it. Right. I don't have beef with him. I, I I'm just saying when people make those statements, I'm like, well, and I don't want to be rude by like saying that to him, but when I said right. it, we're I, not talking trash on the guy. The yeah, guy I mean, is a major researcher, yeah. major player. So I, I'm not I, talking trash. Great dude. I love the podcast with him. It's just, I want to make sure that we have a healthy balance when we walk into this. Cause I also, through my show, looked up the history of madness and insane asylums and, you know, the ice pick lobotomy, a whole route. I went down with that. And if you learn about the, some of the first people that were being what we call ADHD that were being tossed in there and given an ice pick lobotomy, it's like, look, I don't want to repeat a whole situation where we just start tossing people on a bunch of things that they probably shouldn't be. You know, headed towards. I just want to understand it more so we can try and find a way to work with it. If someone tells me they have something, I'm going to research into it so I can better equip to handle or work with that person better. You know, I was at um, Absard uh, last year and Absard is the um, place where you go if you're interested in the research on ADHD and it's heavy, heavy duty research. Like you have to really know your stats. And so I go in there and I'm like, okay, all right, right. Our values, and you know, I'm going through, and and they're they're going through all the research of ADHD, and it's a whole bunch of neurotypicals talking about how much our population sucks, and how bad it is to be us. And there were a couple times. Now, I I you know I know research. I know how to read research. I know how to do research. And I had to kind of go. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling so sad right now. Because, and here's what the research says, there is no reason for us to be successful. And here's what my life experience tells me. I work with successful individuals every damn day. And that's why we have to be careful. We want to understand this. And yet there's something so magnificent about the human spirit and ADHD people with their can-do attitudes we defy the odds every day. I have a PhD. I don't think I'm that smart. I came from two parents who were um, undiagnosed ADHD. I did not have a stable home. I had an abusive home. And yet somehow I still ended up with a PhD writing a book. Research says that's not supposed to happen. And I'm telling you that because I want your listeners to be, as we learn about ADHD, and as we kind of get into it, we're like, oh my gosh. I mean, really, when I was writing my book, there's a couple um, research instances I gave. I literally had to get up, walk away from the chapter because it was so depressing. And yet, I wanted my book to give hope. And so, um, in fact, that's the number one feedback I get. You gave me hope. And so, even though the, the research, we want the research, don't, don't get emotionally attached to the research. Just understand, yep, that's a thing. 
And yes, we need to take ADHD seriously, but it doesn't have to inhibit my entire life. I'm going to ask a question that you might know, you might not. Um, it's another area I'm interested in, but it's the maladaptive daydreaming. I've had Ellie Somer on here and a couple others who've researched um, maladaptive daydreaming, mostly because like the other uh, podcast I did with someone who had ADHD, who is a psychologist of ADHD. Um, he's, I said one thing that really steered him like, whoa, hang on a second. And it was a trait. I do five to six hours of cardio. Um, but people ask how I do it. I just say I daydream. I don't know if you've ever looked into maladaptive daydreaming before or that form of it. I don't even know if I would consider that, but that it's like a mix of like time blindness. It's everything when I'm on that thing. And it seems like it would be impossible, but I do. You it went to your happy place. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. Uh, so I can explain what happens in the ADHD brain um, when that occurs. So remember the prefrontal cortex it is right behind your forehead. So if your listeners tap on their forehead, that's where the prefrontal cortex is. That's where people know how to plan, organize, put things in sequence, okay? And right behind that is called the DMN, the default mode network. And it's supposed to be like a teeter-totter. When one is up, the other is down. In other words, when one is working, the other one isn't. In the ADHD brain, it gets stuck. The teeter-totter gets stuck in the middle. And, okay, oh, this is embarrassing. You're 25. You probably never have been on a teeter-totter, have you? I've been on a teeter-totter. Oh, have you really? Okay. All right. I don't see Not them the in playgrounds though. anymore. <laughs> oh, I, well, yeah. Okay, you're like, hey, last weekend. All right. I don't. If it was last weekend, I'm not sure we want to know. But um, what happens is when the teeter-totter gets stuck, the, the two people on the teeter-totter are just kind of there where their legs hanging. That's that daydreaming state. Does that make sense? And ADHD people, our teeter-totter gets stuck a lot. And especially unmedicated. So it's a stuck teeter-totter situation. I mean, is it more beneficial to be on the medication than it's not? I mean, I'm sure probably a lot of my educational system um least life would have been a lot easier i always got put in school suspension and i remember the teacher telling me he's like rob you can just do whatever you want man i was like why he's like you're not supposed to be in here he's like these are people that smoke cigarettes in the bathroom and do all this type of stuff you just are you know i guess i don't know not fit for a regular classroom and i was like so what do i do he's like go take a lap around the building and just be gone for the rest of the day if you want. And I was like, fine. And I would just walk around school. So I'm just curious if there is, um, I already forgot my question. Went into a little rant. There we go. Oh, you know, it's interesting medication. Yeah. So it, it depends on, on what you want to do and your environment. So I work with surgeons who have, have ADHD and they actually don't need medication because their, their environment is so set up for them. They have people kind of, if you'll excuse me, waiting on them. They walk into a surgical team. All they have to do is the surgery. They're not setting it up. They're not using their prefrontal cortex. They're using all their other intellect. I, I work with an accountant who all he does is executive function. That's his job. And by the way, it's exhausting. 
Remember, that's our organizing, planning, thinking ahead part of the brain. And so he needs his medication. Um, if your emotions are too out of whack, you know, Tom Brown says that medications work for 80% of us. So it, it all depends on, um, I, I have a friend who is an artist. He doesn't have to use meds because he's an artist. I, there's no big deadline for him, right? He, he's outside of the work week. But if you're in a tight work week and you have to exist a lot with neuro, um, neurotypical people, yeah, medication makes a lot a difference. So let's just like let's let's just make medication the equivalent of wearing eyeglasses. Okay, so it's not good or bad. Some people only use eyeglasses to drive. Great. I tend to wear my contacts all the time. I like to see my best all the time. Um, I have a daughter who doesn't like to wear glasses at all. And so she's like, ah, I can get by without wearing them. And so she does. Do you see how that is kind of similar to medication? It's fine. Um, it's not a moral decision. And I want to be clear with people. Um, gosh, there are people, I have one paragraph in my book that um, talks about the benefits of being medicated. One paragraph out of an entire book. And someone wrote um, a review on Amazon saying, oh, another book that just promotes uh, medication. I'm like, dude, you missed the whole book because that's not what the book is about. Because I try not to talk about it because it, it's so moralized. So I just say it's a tool. Do you want to use it or not? And if you're, if you want to do different things, I'll be really honest, medication helps me a lot. Um, it helps me focus. It helps my short-term memory. By the way, those of us with ADHD, Robbie, I know you know this, we have impaired short-term and working-term memories. Well, I'm trying to finish my second book. I need to remember what I just thought two seconds ago <laughs> so that I can, so I can complete it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that probably comes from the fact that our minds are moving, trying to figure out which, like when I do a conversation, I try and think of like, it's kind of like a million roads. Which one do you want to take and which one will go which it's direction? Divergent thinking. Yeah. Sadly, they're not, uh, you know, light roads. They're not like a small curve in it. You're just kind of going either a hundred to zero and it's like, dang, all right. So how do I change this conversation? I, I, and also what's with like saying something and then socially, it's not probably the right thing to say. I get caught, maybe it's just me, but I get caught in this so many times where I know oversharing is something, but I'll say something like, Hey, I know you from this place. And then like, it opened up a whole can of worms where for 20 minutes, this person just gave me a whole backstory and everything. And then I just went, sorry about that have a good one. And then they would, I worked front desk at a gym. So they walked away and my buddy was like, what, why every person you meet, you have just say good morning and they'll walk away. That's it. But you go a little extra farther. Next thing you know, you're sitting there for 20 minutes. So it's a joke. My husband and I um, go to restaurants and a lot of times the waitress will end up sitting down with us and talking. We hear about her divorce. We, I mean, it's a, my husband and I, and our kids, when our kids were younger are like, why can't you just be friendly, say hi. I live in the Midwest. We're friendly folks. Say hi and move on. Instead, like, especially my husband, 
um, we know everyone's backstory. And one, we really care about people. And we really do like people. Again, this is about not all ADHD people have this. Both my husband and I have the values of caring for people, right? Well, ADHD comes in again with a hold my beer moment and says, oh, cool. I'm going to make you even more interested in people. And so I'm going to have you keep asking questions until they tell you their whole life story. Do you see how that ADHD is a magnifier of whatever's there? Yeah, it's a problem for me with social media because the people I think that follow me, that I, oh, my personal people that I know and stuff or people, friends of Facebook or something like that. And uh, they typically, um, I don't know, so, like if I put up a post or something, if someone puts up a post, I support them. I say, congratulations, like you got your degree, good job. But then if I do something, I don't get anything back. And I'm like, what the hell? And they're like, you got to realize that they're social friends from social media. And I'm like, no, what the, why are you following me then? If you're not going to wish, like wish somebody happy birthday. I'm not saying my birthday is long because it isn't about me, but I'm saying I always make it like a thing that if I see someone and I know them, I wish them happy birthday. A hundred percent. Because like, that's okay. like the smallest thing you can do to cheer somebody's day up. You just did it. Okay, you just did it though. Do you hear? You In your personality, you're like, there's something in me. I value humans. I value that connection. And so then the ADHD is like, cool, we're going to turn up the volume on that. And so do, do you see the pattern here? So you have the value and then it's like, ADHD is like, excellent, excellent. We're going to turn it up. We're almost going to make you a compulsive happy birthday wisher. Oh God, I'm not. I don't want to be that far. I'm not sure yeah, about no, anybody's no, no. house I, or anything. I just went, I, I just use hyperbole just <laughs> because I think it's fun. But but you get the idea. Uh, and so this is what ADHD does in us. Again, we're fine. We're we are neurologically different from neurotypicals. We're not good. We're not better than. We're not less than. We're just different. Um. I did want to bring up, you brought up sleeplessness. Uh, do you want to talk about sleep a second? Uh, sure. I mean, I've talked to, I've had sleep scientists on. My only background is that I probably sleep three hours a night. I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on sleep just because if that's an average thing for ADHD people, but. Yeah. So I'm not a sleep specialist, uh, but every person with ADHD has a funky relationship with sleep. And I say funky, not in the scientific term, obviously, but here's what happens. Um, our ADHD, um, our brains are like, either we can't slow down long enough to go to sleep. Um, our circadian rhythms are off. Our sleep cycles are usually reversed. Um, if you had a sleep specialist on, then you know that we have about three sleep cycles. The first two are supposed to be the deepest. Whoopsies, unless you're ADHD, that third cycle is the deepest. And so if we're not getting that third cycle, we're not getting the cleansing. Um, in the sleep specialist probably talked about um, that cleansing cycle. So a lot, every person with ADHD has a weird relationship with sleep. Um, and so... And, and weird, I don't mean weird in, in a judgmental it's way. It's in a spectrum. I mean, yeah, we just don't go to bed like normal people. Okay, let me tell you, neuro, neurotypical people, they're like, oh, it's 10 o'clock. I have to work at six. Okay, I guess I'll go to bed. And guess what they do? 
they do it. We're, we do all this because of executive function, because our circadian rhythms are usually off. Um, we're like, you know what I'm going to do around 930? I'm going to start cleaning my basement. Right? Paint at 1 a.m. I'm, I'm telling painting. you. Yeah. yeah. And, and so we hit our second wind. I'm using air quotes because our brains are like, why slow down? Sleep when you're dead. Paint now. That's my motto. That is little legit. That's my motto. Yes. Not the painting okay. part, just sleep when you're dead. So I don't know if your sleep specialist said this, but I'm going to, and this is what I say to my clients. Over thousands and thousands of years, humans have not evolved to sleep less than eight hours. And I know you're not going to like this. I'm not trying to poke in your life, okay? But there's a reason humans are meant to sleep set between seven and nine hours. There's a reason. And it's a biological reason. And if sleep weren't so advantageous to us, we would have developed ways out of it over the tens and thousands of years. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you know? And yet... The brain has always needed that. And, you know, I don't, you probably know this. There's several different versions of a human brain. Like we're dealing with like the 10th upgrade of the human brain, at least. I don't know that for a fact. It's just a lot of upgrades. Um, and so we know anthropologically, can't say that word right now. Anthropologically speaking, had to get a run at it. Um, that we're dealing, that the modern brain still needs the same amount of sleep as the earliest humans. Isn't that interesting? Weird. So there's something about the ADHD world and modern world that is kind of interrupting that natural sequence. Again, Robbie, I'm not trying to get into your business here, but I am saying most of my clients don't get enough sleep. And they say, I'm probably one of the rare people that don't need sleep. And I'd say, do you understand that is less than a fourth of a percent of the population? Of a fourth of 1%, right? So again, I'm not trying to, <laughs> I hope you don't feel like I got into your business. No, we you can don't. go to something lighter. But I do want your listeners to know sleep is incredibly hard for us. Um. You know, I can go out with people, not have a drink all night um, because I'm the DD, and I will still look drunk. Why? Because it's 2 a.m. and I didn't get sleep. Um, that's how much sleep affects us. And, and it's not just because I'm old. I was like that in my 20s. Um, sleep is that important to us. Do you know um Alex Dimitru? I think his name is. He's called the Sleep Doc. Yeah, he's been on here. He's one of the sleep people I had on talk about. It. He said I might be hitting an unnatural REM cycle because when I sleep, it feels like eight years. And then it's um like because I went out the other night or something. I was doing DD, and um I didn't get home until eleven. I went into my bed, slept for thirty minutes, woke up, felt like I was asleep for ten hours, and then I went to the gym, did six hours of cardio, and then got groceries and got the rest of my day going. And I went to work, I think, around ten o'clock. Yeah. Um. So, 
I can't do that forever. I'm I'm freaking out if I turned like 40 or something like that. I'm probably done. I'm already feeling it at 25. My bones be clicking every time I walk. I'm like, yeah. So he, here's the thing. Um, and this is what I do with clients. Um, at our center, we use something called the QB test that measures your ADHD. It just measures the symptoms. And you can't hack this test. It's a beautiful test. And so with my, um, I have adolescents, usually males, who are like, listen, life is for living. I'm going to live. And I'm like, all right, cool, cool. Let's just run an experiment. Let's let's take you off all your meds because usually they don't take their meds on a regular basis. And let's just do this with sleep. And let's let's rate you with sleep, without sleep. And you you can see the decline in cognitive function. Again, I, I know I get super serious about this subject, but I see it. Th this is actually more important than medication. If I can get my clients to have a good night's sleep, and yet it's not easy. You've talked to sleep researchers. It's not easy for some people to sleep. It actually takes a lot of concerted effort for us. And we've got to slow down our brains. We've got to figure out how to get the right um, the right nutrition in our brains right before we have to stabilize our blood sugar. Um, we have to understand our sleep cycles are usually flipped. Like all of this stuff is exhausting. Um, and so it's not, it's not easy for us. It's want, not easy to sleep. I want to ask you two last questions. Cause I know you give me enough of your time. Trust me. Um, but is there ADHD and nightmares and then also ADHD and brain fog? Those are two that are like, really, really important to trying to figure out because I get brain fog. I have a little bit of it right now, but I thought it was after the COVID stuff because I had it and then it just changed. But then this is like severe. So like there are days where I feel like I'm like, I haven't drank anything. I haven't done like, not like water. I mean, I haven't done alcohol. I've done any drugs and done anything. I am like completely feel like I should not be driving. And I don't know if that's stress related. People are telling me it's stress related. I'm like, I'm not stressed. Like, but you're stressed. I'm like, stop telling me I'm stressed. I'm no, stressed. stop it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> stop telling me I'm stressed. I hate when people do that. So uh, that brain fog you're describing can be um, a couple things. First of all, lack of sleep. Um, uh, I get it. If I don't get enough sleep, uh, my dog needed emergency surgery last week and I was up all night with him. And well, kind of up all night waiting, okay? and, you know, uh, thanks for asking. Uh, yeah, he's okay. Uh, he's a lab and he eats stuff he shouldn't be eating. And so uh, he ate a bra strap. Yep, that's my dog. So he's a lovable big goof, but yeah, I follow him around just hoping he doesn't eat stuff. But oh, anyway. I thought you were falling around to try and get the rest of the strap back. <laughs> <laughs> well it, it's just so like uh, how did he get a hold of this it, it's just yeah so uh that fatigue is very real and here's what happens with my clients they kind of learn to live with a brain fog and that sucks and so the other part the other thing that could be uh related is low dopamine levels so i'm going to oversimplify this very complicated thing okay Dopamine is what, and I think most of your listeners know this, it's like the attention uh, neurochemical, right? Well, inside our brains, imagine a carousel and riders need to get on this carousel and you need a full carousel 
to be able to focus and to feel clear. Okay. The thing that happens with ADHD brains is sometimes we don't have enough writers and sometimes we have too many writers. And so um, sometimes there's the, it's going around and there's empty seats. And then sometimes the party's there and they're all on and they're kind of breaking the carousel. And that kind of represents our dopamine. Um, and, and, and it really does. The dopamine has to attach to certain receptors. Um, stimulants uh, can, re can make the riders a little bit like they stand in line, they get on when they're supposed to get on. They can kind of order, make that whole carousel experience more orderly. Some of my clients are like, oh, I don't want to take medication. I'm like, cool. How many Red Bull are you drinking right now? Or like, just two. I'm like, well, then you're medicating. Makes sense. I know. Robbie, I'm just getting into your business. I don't mean to be. Now, my doctor told me, he was like, how many energy drinks do you drink a day? Your B12 is off the charts. I was like, um, I don't know, like six. He's like, six energy drinks? And then my boss is like, no, he drinks eight to 12 energy drinks. I've cut down. I've cut down. Um, All right. Usually it's just cold paid. turkey for me, but I've been doing that since I was in high school. So I'm like, I'm yeah, you were medicating yourself. It feels good. I don't feel anything off caffeine. I don't get anything but the taste of it. No, just the opposite. It orders your riders. So before I was diagnosed and I did a lot of speaking, I would go to, you know, you, you usually speak at conferences in a bar. I would go to the bar and say, I need a tall brewed iced tea without ice. And I'd sit and guzzle it. And then I'd go and present because it calmed down my mind. So the caffeine is affecting me, but it's calming my brain down. It's making the riders orderly so that it's filled in. Here's the thing. Oh my gosh. Okay, you can just cut this out if I'm too into your business. Um, you're writing checks your body can't cash. What you're doing is really hard on your liver. And you're young, but then in your 30s, your body's gonna go, you know what? I'm kind of pissed about all that. So I'm gonna do this. And so I'm just cautioning, especially all, the, all your listeners who drink a lot of energy drinks, um, that that's really hard on your body. If you're doing that, that's a good sign that you're, you want to be on a stimulant medication. Again, I'm not pushing medication. That's your, that's your thing. But you're kind of saying, hey, it helps me a lot. So. Good answer. Okay. I like Sorry it. for getting in your business twice now. No, you're good. I don't or care. Maybe three times. I've lost I'm so I'm me throughout my whole show. So I think people have heard probably worse dissections of me <laughs> all uh, right i just i don't want it i don't want you to ever feel like i'm shaming or like opening doors i shouldn't be opening um because you're clearly look at you you clearly have your act together mm, not bad for an adhd looks person huh? deceiving, i can tell you that oh, <laughs> <laughs> i uh, I, I really appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show i just the, the one last question for you but through, through your creation of your books do you have a lot more, are you aware of more people that have ADHD than you probably thought? Like for me, I, I think some joining support groups and honestly, some of these support groups, I'm like questioning if these are actual people or not, because they seem like really weird questions to be stating in a group. 
like very specific, like something you would look at, like a medical thing, like you would read on like a medical blurb. So maybe they're trying to get the audience and the community to engage or something like that. But I started noticing like a lot of people that are dealing with things, things to even where I'm like, look, I ain't that sensitive about it, but also I'm interested in learning more about it. So I'm just curious if you became more aware that there were other people like you, me, and anyone else that has ADHD because of all your books. Yeah. So on Monday, I sat in on six hours of an interview on interviews, three different interviews. And we get done. I said, well, number one and number three have ADHD. And not as a bad thing, not as a good thing, but one and three, because I know who they are. By the way, they were interviewing for an ADHD organization. So we're not going to stigmatize someone, right, for having ADHD. But they do know our population, whether they know it or not. So, yeah, um, I tend to, I open up my first book that way. Um, I tend to say uh, in the prologue, I talk about, I can be anywhere and I find my people. Um, I'll be at a fundraiser and I'll find the six people in the room who have ADHD. Um, and it's because, one, we attract each other. We're interested. <laughs> I think ADHD people have more interesting conversations. Yeah, that's a bias but it's my bias. Um, I can usually just pick up the, the divergent thinking pretty quickly. And there's so many times I'm like, oh, that person has ADHD. Oh, that person has ADHD. And it's everywhere. Well, is there a place where people can find your books and find any of your links? Yeah. Uh, any, any bookstore. Um, and it's funny, uh, I have clients who go to different cities and they find my book in the wild. Um, and I just think it's a hoot when they send me pictures. Like someone was in DC in, in a Barnes and Noble. They took a picture like, I saw this in the wild. And um, I have great clients. I have great, great readers. Um, we have a great sense of humor. We have fun. So um, anywhere books are sold. Um, and it's called Your Brain's Not Broken. And on Twitter, anything, social media links? Oh, right. Oh, that. Yes. Um, so I have a, our author's website, TamaraRosier.com, R-O-S-I-E-R. And uh, yes. Okay. I'll link it in the description anyway for you. Oh, so you thanks. Don't have Instagram to... is Dr. Tamara. No. Yeah. Instagram is Dr. Rosier. Hey, how about I send it to you? That's perfect. <laughs> I usually, if people know it, people like to rattle off their links a little bit. So I'll be more than happy you know to what? find them. I and put hate them in the rattling off my links, but I'd be happy to send it to you to make sure that uh, we have it. <laughs> That'll work. I'll, I'll put that in the description. And it's been a pleasure chatting with you. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode by the blank. Stay tuned for next episode.